Good morning. If you've got your Bible, please turn to Matthew chapter 12. That's where we're going to be spending most of our time this morning. My name is Keith. If I haven't met you yet, I'm one of the pastors here. And I look forward to opening the scriptures together this morning. This passage in Matthew's gospel, it comes toward the end of this, um, this section of scripture where Jesus is being revealed as the son of God, as um, the, the anointed one, as the one who is to come, the one who is greater than Solomon, the one who is greater than the temple, the one who is the Lord of the Sabbath, etc. And at this point in the story, what happens is so powerful, so dramatic, so vivid, that, that something is taken off the table in terms of who is this person. What's taken off the table is that he's just this natural person, that he's just doing things as a really good priest or a really good miracle worker. Certainly, he can't be a charlatan. What happens before the eyes of all the people is so amazing that it begs the question, how in the world is he doing these things? It's got to be from somewhere else. It's got to be from beyond nature. So that's where we're going to look at today. And we're going to find ourselves not just looking in to this dramatic event as observers, but I, I think we're going to see that God has dropped us all into the middle of it and whisked us in to this conflict that's raging, that's been raging from the beginning of time and will continue to rage so that we have to find our place in it and figure out how we're going to relate to it. One day, one day, God will put all things in subjection under the Christ. And he'll bring all his saints into the joy of his heavenly kingdom where we shall see our Lord face to face. One day he'll do that. One day he'll bring all things under the subjection of his Christ. But today, today we only catch glimpses of that peace. We only catch whiffs of that banquet that's coming, that's being prepared. Today is a day of conflict Today, in not very long from now, uh, we're going to stand up and we're going to send problems and difficulties and devil's works to the cross. Today is a day like that. These are those days. Today is a day of cosmic war for control over the world and all of its inhabitants. And we're all involved in that. It shows up in our own hearts. It shows up in our own minds. It shows up in our competing passions and affections and desires. It shows up in every single one of our relationships, doesn't it? It shows up in our work. Today is a day of conflict and difficulty and problems and the devil's works. Every day, God is at work. And every day, Satan is at work. And every day... Throughout the day, our own choices bring us closer and deeper under the control of one or the other. As the story continues to unfold here, we see that the power of Jesus is, is demonstrated with such beauty and irrefutably otherworldly glory that we have to demand 
How is he doing these things? And that's exactly what this, this passage of scripture brings to light. If you've got your Bible open to Matthew chapter 12, let's see how this story opens. I'm going to try to do this without reading glasses, and we're going to see how it goes. I might have to have someone join me at the podium. No, I think I can do this. At that time, Jesus went through, I'm sorry, that's the grain fields. It's cool though, but we're going to move on. <laughs> Chapter uh, 12, verse 22. Then a demon oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw. Just one verse. Jesus is Amidst this crowd, he's removed himself from this conflict where the Pharisees heard him talk about the Sabbath in such a way that the Pharisees said, let's go out and conspire together and figure out a way how we can destroy him. So Jesus, knowing that that's going on, removes himself and the crowds and some of the Pharisees even come along with Jesus <clears throat> who weren't quite ready to be part of that violent um, uh, coup. And we've got to know that at the time of Jesus, it's clear that demon-oppressed people, that was um, a common thing. And they coexisted with the priests and the Pharisees of the time who were equipped to cast out demons, at least some of the demons, right? But nevertheless, and, and Jesus refers to that here in this passage later on, that, that if I'm doing this by the prince of demons, what about the, the people among, in your rank and file that are doing the same thing? Are they doing this by the, the power of demons also? So we have to understand that, that demons and people who can cast demons out coexist. It's a common thing. And this man is brought to Jesus in the midst of all these different passages where Jesus is being tested. And so it, it kind of suggests that this is almost like a sword in the stone moment, if you're familiar with that story. It's this impossible, it's a stone or it's a sword that's impossible to pull out of this stone unless you're this special person, I think, unless you're the king of England. So here's this. Gordian knot kind of demon situation. Here's a, here's a demon situation that clearly none of the existing priests or um, exorcists have been able to handle. And this man is brought it publicly in front of Jesus kind of as a, let's see what you do with this guy. And try to imagine what this man looks like. If we're talking about control, we're talking about the prince of darkness has this man in a headlock so strong that the man is choking and gasping and can't speak. And the, his eyes are rolled back in his head such that he can't see. This man is completely helpless. He is utterly tormented. He has to be brought to Jesus. He doesn't come under his own steam. He is a wreck of a, of a human being. A miserable wreck of a human being. And then four words, and he healed him. And he healed him. So simple. In front of all these people. Imagine being in that crowd. You're invited with your imagination to be in that crowd. To see this man carried to Jesus in the state that he's in. With the scaly arm of the prince of filth choking his windpipe. <laughs> 
and causing the eyes in his head to roll back and so that he's blind. And you're looking at this poor, wretched human being. And here's Jesus. And he healed him. And right in front of your very eyes, he, this man is recreated. Just as, as we heard in the Old Testament when the arm of the Lord was stretched out toward Israel and he took Israel by the hand and led Israel out of the house of slavery. That's what you're seeing. You're seeing this man set free from bondage and brought into freedom and peace where he can see and he can speak and he's in his right mind. There's so much power and goodness, and beauty, and mercy that we've seen of God throughout all the pages of Scripture poured into this one instant where in a flash the crowd sees the arm of the Lord take this man by the hand and lead him out of the clutches of slavery into freedom and peace. It's so powerful that we have to be amazed. And the crowd is amazed, we hear, or we see, so that the man spoke and saw, verse 23, and all the people were amazed. And we'll see that even the Pharisees were amazed. You see, we have to be amazed. There's, there's no option to, to just kind of be like, eh, I don't know. It's kind of cool, but lots of different explanations for that. We see the same thing happening, by the way, in the Exodus story where we see these plagues come one after the other and it's like God is just turning up the temperature a few degrees at a time or maybe said in a better way, he's turning up the dimmer switch just a little bit at a time so that as the story goes, we see him more and more clearly as the God of Israel, the, the only God. And that's the point in Exodus. That's the refrain, so that they will know who I am. And that's what's happening here in Matthew's gospel, such that we come to this point where the crowds who've been like marginally faithful, like they, they, they're game for whoever Jesus is saying that he is, and they're open to it, right? And the Pharisees who haven't been, they've been closed and, and are ready to reject Jesus most of the time. They see this together and they're all amazed. We had this a storm, a couple of, you guys probably remember it because it's a small town. I think it was only uh, eight days ago, maybe last Saturday night. Is that right? Um, we, had, we, we had a bunch of our family in, uh, in town and most all of us were there with um, a visiting relative. And we'd had dinner and most people were out on the screen porch. Joanne and I were in the kitchen, I think, I don't know, getting dessert ready or something. Um, I was being super helpful as always. Um, <laughs> probably just making a mess and dropping things on the floor. Um, but there was this thunderstorm. Remember, we had that series of thunderstorms almost every night, and they were some of them pretty powerful. There was a, a lightning strike that happened. We thought it must have hit our house. We don't know. We think it maybe hit the steeple of a church that's one block over. But it sounded like a gunshot in our house, in our kitchen. It was like a gunshot. It was amazing. Joanna dropped to the floor. Um, I, I don't know what I did. I, I, everybody screamed. 
Um, it was this crazy thing. Neighbors were coming out onto their porches, like looking around. What is going on? One of our neighbors had a t-shirt on. What did it say? Um, basically like, um, I'm not afraid of anything. I mean, really, that's what it said. And he's like, comes out and he's like, what's the world going on? So that was pretty funny. But we got a good, once he went back inside, we got a good laugh out of that. Not, except for this very short list of things, including thunderstorms. There was no room for anyone that was there to not be amazed. We all saw it. We all felt it. We all experienced it. And, and everyone was coming out with the different, what in the world? And that's where Matthew brings us here. What in the world? Because this isn't just a normal thing. He can't just be this natural person. It's a power beyond nature that's controlling Jesus and animating him with supernatural might. It's got to be coming from somewhere else. There's no way it's just coming from here. It's this amazing, vivid, beautiful, glorious like, moment where this man is released and transformed and recreated. It presses the crowd and the Pharisees to this conclusion that Matthew is putting to all of us, to, to you. This is either the son of David or he's the son of Satan, but he's not a man. He's not just a man. His, his power source is plugged in outside of this world into one of those two kingdoms that have been in conflict from the beginning, that have power beyond nature, either to heal or to destroy. But he's one of those two. He's the arm, he's the scaly, nasty arm of the prince of filth, and he's, he's able to manipulate demons because he's in league with them, okay? Or he's the arm of the Lord, revealed in the sight of all the nations so that all the people are going to see salvation. He's got to be one of these two things. And that's really what the rest of this section is about. Much of the section is Jesus with logic which I'm not going to explain or unpack. It's right there. Jesus is just using simple logic. Come on. I can't be the prince of demons. Uh, you don't invite a general contractor in to do a um, remodel your kitchen, and while he's there, he's going to take a sledgehammer and just willy-nilly just start destroying the upstairs bathroom that he's not invited to participate in at all. Like That doesn't make any sense. That's not how kingdoms are built. So he just uses very basic logic to say, well, actually, I'm not that. But if I'm actually like the previous passage states from Isaiah's prophecy, if I'm clothed with power from the spirit, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Both of these kingdoms, Satan's and Yahweh's. They're both vying for control, and each of us will be under the sway of one or the other. And this is more complicated than it seems. We heard from Ephesians chapter 2 um, that, mm, that we were once 
under the sway, like marionettes of the devil, of the prince of the power of the air, and that we were held in bondage by him to do his bidding, right? And then the middle of that section, verses 1 through 10, talks about how, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ, and all that stuff is right there in the middle. And then it closes with verse 10, which says, and now you who once were the marionettes of Satan, now you are recreated in God to do the good works that he prepared in advance for you to do. See the symmetry of that? That we're always under someone's control. We started out under the control of Satan, and then we never got to the place where we're just free to do whatever the heck we wanted. The good news is we were set free from this scaly claw, and we were set free to be now in God's kingdom and created in him to do the works that he wants us to do. But we're always under one of these two kingdoms, under their control to do the work that they have created for us to do one of these two princes. Ephesians 5 reiterates this, um, where Paul makes this argument, don't keep on getting drunk with wine, which the Greek word there is a, it's a kind of a vivid word picture. It's a good one for drunkenness. He says, don't come under the sway of wine. Don't keep bringing yourself under the sway of wine because that leads to debauchery. But instead, keep on bringing yourself under the sway of the Holy Spirit, which leads to all of these things. We're always under the sway of one of these two entities the prince of darkness or the son of David. So, the kingdom of God has come upon us. That's the good news. That's the good news. That just like this man who's brought to Jesus, Jesus can set us free. He, in a moment, can snap the wrist of this scaly prince of filth, which is the literal translation for Beelzebul. That's why I keep saying prince of filth. That's a great name for him. <laughs> That in one move, Jesus can snap his wrist and set us free and bring us into his own kingdom as we see this man being brought to Jesus. There's this opportunity to come under God's control, and this is good news. I think if the man in this story were here and we said, did you feel manipulated by Jesus? Did you feel like that was kind of a bait and switch? Like, well, I was under somebody's control and now I'm under Jesus' control. And so I guess, man, I'm just always a, just a pawn. Or would this guy say, man, this is great. And when Jesus says, he who the son of man sets free is free indeed, I agree. My life is so much better now than it was before. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. And yes, I was heavy laden and I was weary. And now I'm under the rule of a good king. I've been taken by the hand, by the outstretched arm of the Lord, and I've been given sight. This is good news, but we can also see in the story and we can see this play out in the New Testament and we can see this play out in our own lives. It's not simply just like a happy story, good news, and then it's over. There's a humility that comes to us in this passage. And we've alluded to it already. 
It's agitating news too. It's good, straight up good. This guy's in a better place. We can all agree with that. But we all know if you've tried to follow Jesus for any length of time, that it's a humbling process and it's an agitating process. And this passage helps shed some light on some of that. The, the Pharisees just don't want anything to do with this. They wanted to kill him in the last passage, and now they're saying, he's just set on fire by the prince of demons, and that's how he can do all this stuff. They're rejecting it. Out of hand, they aren't willing to have the conversation about control. They've been given some control, and they're holding on to it. It's the same as Pharaoh in the Old Testament that we heard um, earlier read. It's the same as Herod at the beginning of Matthew's gospel. I'm good. I'm situated. Whatever powers that be are out there that I can't see, I don't really care. I'm not trying to enter into that conversation because I'm good. I like the hand that's been dealt to me. And if something comes along that's threatening to shuffle the deck, I'm not interested in that. So it's agitating and it's humbling. And we see some of these characters, we just see their ankles get broken by it right away. But we also see that it's humbling and agitating for good people, for all the good people in the Bible. It's hard to integrate a kingdom that cannot be ignored and is so difficult for us to honestly embrace. The crowds and the disciples, the apostles, in the gospels and in the book of Acts and in the epistles, we just see this constant wrestling. Yielding our control to Christ and to his kingdom must be understood and undertaken as a constant, gradual, intentional work. One that's not always comfortable. Jesus says, if I'm here by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is in your face. And friends, that is good news. You will be so much better off under this king than you were under the old king. Hands down. And he calls himself a refiner's fire. And he calls the kingdom yeast that goes into a lump of dough and gradually over time as it's needed spreads and takes over. It doesn't happen all at once. And that process isn't a comfortable one. Being refined by fire. I've never had that happen to me, but I can imagine it's agitating. God's control takes over gradually. His yoke is gentle and light. But control is control, and yielding ourselves to it always re requires humility, and it's always somewhat of a wrestling match, the way that Jacob wrestled with the angel. So we can reject this kingdom, you can reject this kingdom, or you can receive this kingdom. There is a binary question put before us. But if we choose to receive it, if we do receive it, then we must remain aware of the battle raging for control over us. Just because you've received Jesus and you agree and you believe, it doesn't mean that the, the devil has given up on you. God is always at work, but Satan is always at work. 
and the things that you think about and the things that you say and the things that you do day in and day out, they resonate either with taking up your cross daily to follow Jesus and yielding to get closer to him and to abide more fully in him or to dig your heels in just a little bit or to just wander the other way just a little bit. The things that we do matter. So as we receive this kingdom, as we consider this proposition that Matthew is pushing us into and he's only gonna continue to do this and make it more clear as he talks later about a tree and its fruit. Let's remain in a state of joyful agitation as the one who sets us free continues to make us free indeed. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.